Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of uh, What's the Schemata, uh, our podcast for schema therapists. Uh, I'm Rob Brockman from Sydney, Australia, and I've got with me uh, Chris Hayes from from Perth, Western Australia. Hi, guys, everybody. How's things? Yeah, mate, I'm going okay over here. Where we're sort of um, obviously things are coming coming out of the the pandemic at the moment, and everything's kind of ramping up again. Uh, at least that's how it is over here in, in Sydney. Mm. Um, how you been, Chris? Yeah, I've been good. We've been busy doing this online training platform haven't we? So we'll hasn't talk a it? bit about that a little bit later. Yeah, maybe. hasn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Schema Therapy Online platform's been, cr- yeah. been going a bit crazy. So, all right. Um, look, I thought, I thought for today it'd be, you know, really interesting to talk to you, Chris. Um, we, we're always thinking of topics and we have a bunch yeah. of topics coming up. But uh, one that I thought that um, a lot of folks would be interested in um, is that I know you've been one of the therapists on this um, international study. It's called the IRM study which is uh, an imagery rescripting versus EMDR sort of randomized control trial. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, I know that you've been one of the therapists uh, involved in that study. And I think on both arms of that study, actually, as, a, yeah. as an imagery rescripting therapist, but also as an, as an EMDR therapist. So, and it struck me in our conversations at different times, you know, informally, that you had some pretty cool insights you know, uh, and perspectives. So that I think yeah. people would, would love to hear. So I, th- I thought that would be a cool thing today to do, to talk about um, here on our What's a Schemata type format. So um, yeah. I've got a few questions. We might get things started. Um, the, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, um, Chris, really I want to hear what, what are your general sort of personal reflections from participating in the trial as a therapist? So I'm not asking you to hear about data and things like that. Um, I'm, interest, I'm, I'm interested, and I think the clinicians would be interested, mm. you know, what did you really take out of um, participating? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the data is going to be coming out, you know, probably in the next couple of months, so we might kind of a revisit of this soon. But... Um, yeah, look, the, the, the location where I work, it's a part of the health department of Western Australia and it specialises in um, um, sexual trauma, so recent sexual assaults and childhood sexual abuse. So the, the type of work that I was involved with as part of the trial uh, was focusing on imagery or EMDR uh, as a standalone treatment for childhood you know, trauma. And this, in my case, it was sort of sexual abuse. So I think, I mean, what a lot of the interest is at, at the moment in terms of this, some of the experiential work, um, you know, sort of involved with schema therapy is looking at what individual kind of mechanisms of the schema therapy model, for in this case it was imagery, how does that work? And, and it was compared against EMDR. So we were also looking at kind of more PTSD versus um, more just sort of generalized schema and person personality kind of um, constructs but um yeah so there was a quite a bit of stuff that we i personally found as a schema therapist um and trainer um one of the biggest things was 
you know, I guess a lot of clients might present uh, with very big trauma histories, you know, if you were in sort of a different setting and they might present with X, Y, Z problem and not really tell you too much about the trauma history. And it really kind of made me think in terms of clients that are presenting with more schema kind of problems, whether, you know, to sort of directly target some of my assessment questions to see if there was a, a, you know, how much of a role of, you know, big T trauma was, was evident, you know, so I don't know about you, but often you get to two years in or something and then, you know, the client feels safe enough to say, Oh yeah, did I, did I mention that about what happened with my uncle? You know, when I was seven, did I mention that? And you go, no. Mm, yeah. So, mm. so that was, I mean, I don't know how you feel. Did you have those sort of situations where you often kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Line? Definitely. That can, you know, the original focus can shift and, um, you know, it can feel for a therapist a little bit like, you know, maybe the first six or 10 weeks might've been a waste of time or something. Um, mm. If that happens and you, you know, but, but later on, I guess, reflecting that it was, was never going to happen any other way. Mm. you know that perhaps yeah. the person needed that time to to build the trust and rapport and stuff so well i mean i i, I think that's true i think there's in, clients need to kind of feel safe and you have to work through bypassing coping modes but at the same time i think it's worth getting you know asking the question because i think a lot of therapists are a bit spooked by trauma in general and they don't ask and if you don't it's one of these sort of situations if you don't ask don't tell you know so right in terms of assessment i think it's worth yeah, you know, giving people things like there's a the life events checklist five, which is yeah. a really helpful kind of um, tool to use, which basically just sort of talks about you know different traumatic events, you know whether they're interpersonal or sort of more sort of you know disaster kind of situation. I like that. There's a particular one that we have you experienced any natural you no know, um, chemical disasters such as nuclear or something. All right, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of people. Or for all the people in Chernobyl or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, these, it's just a good screener because some people can kind of, um, you know, kind of highlight that and you can be really clear with them that we don't need to necessarily talk about it, but it's helpful for me to know this sort of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So I think no, it makes sense. So you, you, you would, I guess what you're saying is that you think um, routinely scre- screening for traumatic events in some way is good practice, um, giving yeah. them the opportunity for that to come up. Yeah. And if, I mean, I, I can think of a, a client straight off the top of my head where I had what I said before, where, you know, we'd been meeting for two and a half years and because I didn't feel comfortable at the time to sort of ask particular questions. And for her, the questions were, you mean, the, the a sexual sort of abuse wasn't really, she might not have viewed it as abuse at the time, but as, as we went along, we, she kind of became more aware of it. And, and that really affected the formulation. So there's a bit of a missing link for me. When I found that out, I was like, ah, that makes perfect sense. It makes sense. perfect so sense. Right, if you're right. Looking for formulation gaps, I reckon that's a, an area where you might want to just sort of ask. Yep, yeah, yeah. And but, I mean, especially if you're working in a, in a trauma type setting as well, I imagine that yeah, yeah. you guys probably now have that as a standard thing. Like, well, I mean, if people are coming to you for trauma treatments, then that's a different sort of situation. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. their modus operandi. But a lot. But even if they're not, you're saying it's it's not a not a bad thing to give them something. And you've got the you know mm-hmm. the life events checklist is a, is a, is a nice way of screening for that. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, and just to, you, you can still work with coping modes. We're saying, look, we don't need to talk about it, but it might just help me get you quicker and understand you and help you. Mm. And if it's just a, a yes, that has happened to me, then you can go, okay, I can clock that, and then work towards maybe understanding that a little bit more as you go yep. along. Yep, yep, yep. absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, is there anything else that you, you, you guess you learned out of the trial? I mean, one way I thought about this is is you know, Chris, if you if you had to train up another Chris to go into the study, you know, arm two of IRM or something, and there was some, yeah. some new guy that you were going to train up, I mean, what would you want to tell him about your experiences? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, if you're looking at directly processing trauma, that's kind of separate from someone presenting maybe as a schema client, you know? So you've got different things here, mm-hmm. I guess. If mm-hmm. someone's coming to you presenting, if what I, ah. what I think is that if someone's coming to you and wants help with traumatic kind of stuff, mm-hmm. or if a person is willing to do imagery rescripting mm-hmm. or EMDR, for example, um, proceed. You know, I think a lot of therapists kind of don't because they're, they're not feeling that particularly comfortable. And look, imagery was, we're talking about imagery scripting. There's lots mm-hmm. of other different experiential imagery based interventions within scheme therapy, but the main kind of one that we often do will be mm. you know, entering the image and sticking up for the little guy. But yeah. So I, there's a, there's a differentiation there that you've made. Um, so I guess you're sort of saying on one level, it depends a little bit whether someone's coming to you to work on the big T traumas. Yeah, right. you're that I mean, for schema-based to. problems. Yeah. You know, that I get triggered and then I get in these bad mm. relationships versus someone who's coming in having nightmares, you know, having intrusive symptoms. Yeah. And I think that if someone's willing to do imagery, then try to do it as much as you can because that's the active ingredient sometimes with a lot of clients. You're actually bypassing the coping. The problem is, is that when clients don't want to do imagery mm-hmm. and they don't want to talk about it and you have to do long-term kind of you know mode sort of bypassing and mode work that's that's okay but a lot of people you know there's a lot of clinic a lot of clients i can think of where i would have gone straight into mode work and blah 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 but if i just said you want to do a lot of imagery they probably would have gone yeah okay okay i understand so you found that there's a a bunch of clients and particularly those that might sign up for a study like this or or, or Mm. that might come to a service like yours where they're coming because they want to get the work done yeah and yeah. getting started with imagery as soon as is practical mm, mm. might be a good thing yeah absolutely and also do it in a block so like i think if someone's whether it's a schema or kind of trauma kind of you know context uh obviously the imagery scripting trial that we've been talking about which we'll, we'll leave the reference for the kind of setup of the trial um up um, the data will be re- released in the next couple of months and I don't want to preempt it, but it's good. It's good data. It's good. Um, feed, it's very positive. Yeah. Um, I really mean, the, that, the little snippets you know. that, that, I mean, um, I don't think anything's really been released, but there's been a poster that was put out by Chris Lee and a PhD student yeah. did, did, did this. And yeah. so we're all sort of excited about to hear mm. the results, uh, you know, once they're all out. But mm. yeah, I, I mean, I, the sense I get is this is going to be a bit of a game changer as well. So I'm, I'm super excited about the results. So I'm not going to preempt anything with, yeah. with sort of saying <laughs> what the results me. are. Any, any, um, uh, but, you know, yeah. let's, let's wait to hear from, you know, Chris Lee and others about mm. that. Yeah. Um, the, the idea about getting a block of work, though, that's another thing. So in the trial, we did 12 sessions of EMDR or imagery scripting in a block. 
So mm-hmm. we're looking at the first study is looking at either fir- um, either um, just just six right. weeks, twice a week for six weeks, and now yeah. we're looking at either sort of once or twice a week for you know yeah have twelve sessions of imagery or MDR in every session. And for the scheme of therapists, I think it's worth thinking about setting an expectancy for clients. Like, why don't we do some imagery in a next couple of sessions? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like contracting for a block to say. Yeah. Whatever it is, six sessions, eight sessions, t- twelve sessions. We're gonna we're gonna be doing imagery work for the next. Yeah. How does that feel? Does that feel, what? What is that? Yeah. What do you? How do you feel about that idea? We might make a lot of yeah. gain. There. If a client's saying, "No, nah, look, I don't want to do it," then you go back to the mode work, and you can go yeah. back to. But you, yeah, just I think it helps with six for some clients have an expectancy that you know I'm yeah. gonna turn up, I'm gonna do some imagery today. Rather, it's a commitment. They and they kind of know exactly what they're committing to. I guess it helps too yeah. with the feeling. I imagine if you're going through that, it'd be like, wow, like if it's like, how long do we have to do this? Like if we're mm. going to potentially do this for the next year, mm. then maybe I'm not up for that. But if you're telling me we're going to do this for the next six weeks, maybe that's something that I could commit to. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a bit of a bite, you know, that expectancy and a, and a, you understand what the level of commitment is. There's a, there's a, mm. an exit point almost. Yeah. Makes sense. And then I guess you can sort of, um, have a look at your outcomes and sort of see what needs to happen next or that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I thought it's important, it's, it's I guess the imagery in a schema context has to be driven by the case conceptualization. And I think that's a big thing. And when you've got the case conceptualization set up and you know what, what, you know, sort of what you're trying to achieve, that's important. Mm. So if I had to tell to Chris Mark too, um, how to use better imagery work, imagery scripting work. Have a think a bit about like what what you're trying to do, other than I listened to a podcast and I felt inspired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to okay. So I'm trying to do imagery because I want the client to feel more empowered or to okay. feel more compassion to myself. Or so this to, comes back to the key problem areas that you're working on for this patient. Yeah. Yep. Like so, in other words, and so what exactly is it that that they're working on, and thereby what are the goals? And that's going to be a little bit different for every patient. Yeah, yeah. And what's driving the presenting problems? Yeah. And yeah. and was in in the in your work over there, particularly, let's say in the trial, if you can if you can comment, um, was it driven by case case formulation or or not? To what degree were you able to go off a case formulation? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it w- wasn't really. I mean, the yeah. the bet the most of the case conceptualization we yeah. had was just a. We, I mean, we were looking at more, looking at particular trauma images yeah. and. Uh, it's protocol driven. So often, um, randomized yeah. control trials are protocol driven, which is which yeah. is completely understandable. Did yeah. Did you get a sense that that was an inhibiting thing in a way? Like, did you wish you could do more schema based formulation? No, not really. I mean, in this sort of situation, we were so tight. We we're focusing on the tra- PTSD. So, mm. what we would, you know, we would look at, you know, the the core sentinel kind of events that the person wanted to process. The biggest sort of case formulation that. And maybe it's because my background of schema therapy was to look at themes. So there might have been uh, particular sort of we we, we drew, sort of drew out sort of memory maps, you know, trauma maps based on themes. So, so these were like the schema yeah. themes kind of thing. Yeah, and a lot of them would sit with the schema. I mean, like you know, a lot of um, in my work with this sort of you know these sorts of you know clients, you tend to get the four main 
big ticket schema driven you know you know um linkages to you know subjugation mm. you know i can't i feel submissive i can't stop i'm powerless me. i'm powerless, powerless. Mm. you get the defectiveness so it's like i'm bad i'm it's my I'm fault it's my fault i'm so, dirty i'm yeah. whatever it is uh, you get a mistrust type stuff. So it might be more I can't trust others. Or, or the other thing is interesting is I can't trust myself to make it safe. That kind mm-hmm. of idea. And then the last one is usually about deprivation, like why no one else is there stopping it. Why, you know, why is this happening? There's no protection. There's no protection. There's no one you know, there for me. Sort of deprivation stuff. of protection. It's a form of yeah. emotional deprivation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Deprivation yep. of protection makes sense. Yeah. So you get those ones and you can, I mean, if you're looking in more of a schema context, you know, another thing we've talked about, you've, you mentioned it in the past when we used to get together a while ago and, you know, this, you know, I think you used to call it a a compendium. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. That's my thing. The the schema compendium, the compendium of memories. So, so. So it's like a, yeah, like a, you know, if you had a particular schema, for example, we would sort of say, okay, so there's like subjugation, for example, and you might want to link, get the client to think about particular memories that are loaded to that or linked to that in some way so that primes the client. It's a good way to sort of prime someone up, you know, yep. um, before. And also session. a way of um, scaffolding the memories and understanding yeah. the links between them uh, yeah. and also which ones are, have a high SUDS or, you know, um, yeah. which ones you might want to target first for people that mm. are very overwhelmed. Mm. So you could do that outside the imagery. You could do that, you know, over for a homework exercise. Mm. But the MDR guys would look at, you know, a top ten list as well. It's another way to get access to memories. Like you'd say, mm. you know, what are the what are the best and the worst memories in childhood, and then yeah. you want, want to look at the worst memories from childhood, and they link to particular schemas and the problems that people present with now. Yeah, and one of the things that that um, I guess working in this population of trauma clients is often the issue of stabilization. And um, how much how much you do that, um, and I know in a schema based model you, you're doing a lot less of that um, potentially. So, you know, what's what have you learned out of the trial? What have you learned even just working there generally about this issue of stabilisation? Well, it's yeah, it's an interesting bit of a, a bit of a debate that's happening, I guess, at the moment around that because there's an issue around too much stabilisation. A lot of trauma therapists would go stabilise, stabilise, stabilise. You know, goes super slow and that's you know, that's great and i think it's important for some clients but because of course there's a study i think it's yeah. 2016 with uh, arnold and uh and colleagues uh yeah. from the netherlands yeah they found yeah. that that it wasn't really necessary in that study yeah um yeah. to to do the stabilization phase yeah. and um, this is and what we found in this and we didn't do any stabilization and these some of these clients weren't they, they weren't vanilla trauma they were very some of them very severe you know, uh, developmental trauma. And, you know, we went in, I, I mean, I think it depends with the, with the stabilization stuff. A lot of people go, don't touch imagery unless the person's completely resourced and completely stabilized. But the problem is then no one gets the, the, the treatment because mm. they're, they're never stable. So I think you have to kind of work with the clients. At some stage you have to sort of, you know, jump in there and do it. And yeah, I mean, it's not being gung ho, but at the same time, you have to think about well, how does this fit with the client's own, well, the therapist's own avoidance? Mm-hmm. And look, the other thing is that you can use imagery or scripting work to stabilize. A lot of people right. think, you know, it's going to whip up a can of storm, but you know, well, that's the other in, thing, isn't it? In schema, th- well, at least in, in imagery scripting and in schema therapy, the, the stabilization comes through the healing. Mm. 
Mm. So it's a, it's a healing model. It's a model in which things are contained by the therapist. And yeah. then your, your sentiments, your support, your care yeah. comes through in the imagery. Yeah. And that, that is healing in itself. And so, yeah. you know, in that, so I guess it's a difference between thinking about it as a, as a healing model mm. versus other models, which are a bit more about skills or um, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if I had you in my head saying, Chris, you're doing great, you're fine. You're a good guy. That's a that's not a, a painful thing. I mean, yeah. the easiest thing you could do is just take out antagonists and take out kind of, mm. um, you know, sort of the the more more of the adversarial kind of characters in imagery and just have the little little kid and the yeah. and, and the, the therapist. And if that yeah. goes why if that goes sort of mm. a, you know atypical and doesn't yeah. work out then that's data that's really good stuff if, if the client's mm. like go away leave me alone then you're like mm, let's talk about that if that, yeah. if that there's an app reaction there that's great but it's not necessarily going to re-traumatize someone it's quite a safe yeah thing. so that's been my experience using schema work too that mm. I, i've i've felt that at times if we focus too much on stabilization then it, mm. it it sort of detracts from getting there with the trauma focused work so that's been my experience too yeah. i guess the other side of that is is when i see group level data like that that says mm. that you don't need it and and that, and then the outcomes look great you might have 20 or 30 people in the study or whatever mm. so on average it looks like you don't need it and that's true I always worry that there might be one or two people in that study yeah. that, that would have benefited. Yeah. Uh, so if you looked at the individual level outcomes yeah. and that will be hidden, right? So my, my sense of it is too that even though on average it looks like you might not need it as much, um, yeah. you know, for, for particular cases it might not be a bad thing to, mm. to spend some time doing some resourcing mm. and, and give the patient a sense of control before we, before we jump in there. So, so mm. I, I sort of... Personally, I would temper that message uh, with a little bit of, you know, you need to know your patient as well. Exactly. Yeah. I think you've got the, the client in front of you and it just that you need to know your own stuff as well. So if you're a beginning, you know, therapist, schema therapist. Well, that's the other thing. I think you know, for new schema therapists tend to spend much more time in, in that sort of mm-hmm. um, uh, skills stuff and containment. Yeah. Mm. And the best way around that is... You know, I think having some sort of script or some sort of sequence that you work from yeah. and just kind of practicing getting going. It, it, it's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, people trying imagery out get spooked because they, you know, they think they're going to destabilize the client or they're going to m- mess it up. And I think if you think about what the core needs are and and work from that, then you, you're probably going to end up with a, a fairly okay result if it goes weird or it goes unexpected then it, i still think that's just good data yep. it's good information that you can go hmm okay what happened there so you can adjust things no. so i guess the thing is that it's not perfect process no no you know, and when we try these things out we do it with the best intention but mm. even if it doesn't go well we can learn something from it and that's going to progress the case yeah, I think that you know it's all it's all good. It's all good, and, and just to try try things out. I think you know. I think um, people try to get get things so perfect, and it's just it's just yeah. going back to that. What would it? And of course, if you're not sure, and in a new approach, you know, get some supervision and get some support around it, and that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Now I've got a few more questions. I've got, I've been really thinking about oh, this. You've been thinking. I'm to pick your brain, man. Yeah, um, crazy. So a few more things. How important is it, do you think, that the perpetrator is no longer around? You know, in some cases, 
it could be say you know mum's very invalidating or something and they they mm. have to live with mum still and she's still getting this invalidating message Oh, right. You know, so how important is it that they that they have some real life separation from the perpetrator? I personally think that if a person is remaining in that environment, it's going to be pretty hard for you to kind of make headway, unless there's been a massive uh, reformation in that in that person. Mm. I mean, particularly, I mean, obviously, if it's about abuse, then. I, I, I just don't think a person can feel safe in the, in that mm. situation. It's a different thing where, you know, I've got, I've got someone in mind. I can think mm. of someone mm. automatically in mm. mind. Confidentially, was, of course. <laughs> well, you know, we, we were working, yeah, of course. Um, but we were working a lot about that, trying to, what's the block for you, for you to get out? And, you know, often it's, you know, financial mm. or logistical. Totally. But, you know, it's kind of trying to work towards that. And I guess with this person, it was like, look, I can't see things getting better unless you, you get out of that situation. Mm. So, you know, it's working at that level and, and trying to build the client up to, to see that mm. that's a, 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 a realistic option. Yeah, I mean, where it's, it's full-blown abuse, and particularly mm. physical abuse or that and kind of thing, violence and that's really hard mm. to work against. Uh, from time to time, that there'll be sort of more like invalidation and stuff that you've got to live with, and yeah. you know, with a critical parent or something, and that's always yeah. tough. Mm. I have found in those cases, it's useful to think about. Um, often in those cases, it's I mean, it's not nice to get criticised at the best of times, yeah. but it's sometimes the fact that it triggers their own critic mm. uh, during the yeah. process. Yeah. So it's like trying to help them not fall into the pattern of like agreeing with the parent. You know, so, so you can still do some cool critic work where they still try mm. to separate themselves a little bit and, and not mm. buy into what the parent is saying as much. But it's much more difficult work and, and it always feels like you're pushing it uphill a bit. But, the, I mean, if it's a critic thing, I think it's, it's a different thing. I think if it's safety, you need to meet that need of safety. If there's a sense of kind of, you know, feeling criticised, you know, you need to work with that. And maybe it, I've always been a big believer in like healthy adult looking mm. at the idea of distancing you know, distancing clients. Maybe you do your work and you don't tell your mom and dad about all your work-related yeah. problems and you kind of distance themselves and then they've got less chance to criticise you, but you might still yeah. live within the house. So you kind of, I would be sort of saying, what's the part of you that is going to your dad and telling you about all, you know, all your work-related yeah. problems? You know, maybe it's healthy for you to live within that environment, but not to tell him about that. Kids. So you try to optimize. It's never a perfect thing if they're stuck there, but you try to yeah. optimize their healthy adult approach to that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah sure. Even though it's never going to be 100% satisfying being stuck mm. there. Yeah. 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 Mm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And... What about, I've got some other questions here. What about with abandonment? I've always found that abandonment can be a little tricky um, mm. with imagery scripting, particularly if someone's, you know, died or, you know, it's that kind of thing where there's a grief element. Mm. Um, sometimes that's sort of, uh, where, there, where there's abandonment, it seems to open up a lot of grief. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases when you, you know, I've found this, maybe it's just me, um, you don't necessarily get that nice kind of meet the need mm. result. result at the end of the imagery, yeah. you know, where they, oh, I'm feeling good now. And, you know, yeah. uh, and it seems to open up a bit of a grief process. Can I, can I get you to comment on that? I don't, I don't think that's such a bad thing though. I guess that's with other things as well. Like emotional deprivation is a big thing. A lot of the work that I, I'm doing with sort of more um, childhood abuse type situations, it's, that's a big realization, you know, in a, in a mm -hmm. sense, the grief, you can work with the grief and at least the grief is there to be 
validated mm. and to work. It might know, have been locked up for, for decades. Yeah, and they won't. They might not even realize that they have it until they, well, because they don't realize that 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 was a, an issue. So I guess it's, I think it's the same thing with abandonment. Some clients might not make that connection, and and it's actually sort of grieving that 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 experience, and also mm. I don't know, trying to you know um, to tolerate those sorts of feelings of abandonment in their lives now. Yeah, so it's, you know, grief's not a bad thing. Okay. Okay. So it's something that can be that can then be worked with. Yeah, I think that's progress. You know, I guess. Yeah. And normalizing it and that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, you don't. I mean, some people might present with A, and then you get this. This is the good thing about imagery or scripting, and is that you can access emotional material that isn't just accessible from just having a chat. You know, at an intellectual level, or even just a, as a, you can start to access states that are part of the person's presenting problem that isn't you know isn't sort of uh maybe not con- conscious but it's as if masked or obstructed obs- mm-hmm. obstructed that's the best mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. yeah yeah Makes so it's a good example of that yeah look at the, the other thing i'm curious of you're probably in a bit of a unique position doing the trial where you're in, in you know participating in and where you're both an emdr therapist but also an imagery rescripting therapist mm. um did you get a sense of which patients what kind of patients and presentations do better with imagery scripting versus emdr for example uh, did you get a yeah. sense of that your own personal reflection well i think emdr is uh is quite open and free associative you know so um so if you do have complex trauma you know there might be lots of different kind of memory traces that kind of get fed into this experience. So the good thing about, you know, when you've got a, a client with more complicated um, cases, that particularly ones that have got low, um, you know, what we call resourcing. So like good, you know, they've had good attachments, good parental models, you know, mm. this sort of stuff. If you've got chaotic, you know, the classic kind of more personality, but particularly borderline kind of personality mm, disorder yep. kind of, you know, often that is misconstrued um, with complex trauma as well. Complex trauma. So, and, and the overlap, PTSD. yeah. Yeah, so I I personally found that the clients with, um, you know, poor resources and very poor models of parental and family kind of um, functioning, my gut feeling was that was a better kind of uh, the imagery scripting was going to be better. And the reason is, is that you've got more influence in the imagery itself. Mm. So you can use the power of the relationship of the therapist to go in and contain things. Yeah. So it's not like just stay with that. Just notice that. Okay. Dad's hitting me. Just stay with that. Just notice that. Just allowing Mm. you can do that with EMDR, but with imagery, it's a lot more. How interesting. That's super interesting. So it's like where that attachment piece is missing uh, you can bring that with imagery. You, you're more involved and that can be a good thing for those people perhaps. Yeah. To keep yeah, things so. contained and to meet the need. Yeah. But maybe for those that don't really need that, they've already got that and they just want to yeah. come in and do the work, mm. there might be a group of people for whom MDR says, well, let's get in there and just let's do that. Let's do the processing. Yeah, and also you've got issues in terms of with the MDR kind of situation. I always think to myself it's, it's a little bit more complex to do imagery scripting for recent and more adult events. So I might have a couple of, I've got, you know, two or three clients I could think of that have got personality disorders and have been assaulted as an adult. And to do imagery scripting with that 
is a little bit more complicated, especially if it was, you know, fairly recent. So you might need mm-hmm. to use the, the mode model and the conceptualization of the mode model and use the MDR to plug in mm-hmm. to, to the, the, the work you're doing to process the adult trauma. But that's yeah. how I, I do that. But makes sense. that's another conversation. But um, makes sense. I, I, I do think that the idea of imagery scripting with more complicated cases, yeah, is, is an, uh, you know, it's not a bad way to go. You know, in terms of you've got, you can see, particularly clients have got access to mm. meaningful events or, you know, PTSD type stuff. And I've had a chat to some of the, um, quite a few of the MDR trainers and actually they they tend to sort of do, of course, they'll go with uh, MDR first, but a lot of them say that they, they basically switched it to imagery scripting in, in those more complex cases where um, where it's not sort of working or, you get, you, you know, it's getting more chaotic or something. Yeah. You can't stick with it and to keep it contained. So um, that seems to be a bit of a theme for many EMDR trainers that they rely upon some version of imagery rescripting in those, in those mm. cases. Yeah, and there's a limited reparenting that, I mean, obviously that the benefit of being schema trained is that you can kind of really enrich the therapy relationship and meet the need a lot more than someone who isn't coming from that place. So. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Cool. Mm. Um, yeah, something else? You, yeah, yeah. yeah we can say. Oh, oh, I was just going to break it up a bit. So this is a gratuitous plug, for isn't our, it? For our uh, imagery rescripting for um, in schema therapy um, yeah, yeah. online training. So we've got this yeah. kind of coming up. This is not a catch. Gotcha, catcha. Um, we've got a moment, but we are. This is a real it. thing, man. This is a real thing. We're doing an online training course. It's a six-module uh, course. It's going to be online at the moment. It'll be online the next couple of months under Schema Therapy Training Online with me, myself and Rob. But I'll be presenting this course, and it's going to be looking at yeah, sort of getting the schema therapist more into and bypassing you know, into imagery and bypassing difficulties and. Yeah, presenting some some new ways of sort of feeling more confident with imagery. with the imagery work. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so so, so all that stuff we've been working on that now for the last easy the last two months. Yeah. Uh, in all of this, you know, virus fest. You know, yeah. how do we reach out to people? How do we keep you know disseminating schema mm-hmm. work online? So. Yep, schematherapytrainingonline.com. And, and Rob, you've got, you've got some stuff. We've, I mean, we've got a whole lot of portfolio yeah. of different courses, but Rob. So go and check it out. I mean, I've, I've got stuff up there too on contextual schema therapy and, and particularly looking at maybe more functional ways of approaching the critic and stuff. We've got, of course, Susan Simpson is going to be running uh, her eating disorders uh, training online. We've got foundational courses in schema. So um, there's all of that there. But We've got um, tough cases, don't we? Got tough, tough cases, cases is another cool one. Difficult, angry, dismissive, resistant. Type narcissistic. Type. Narcissistic, yep. yeah. So we've got yep. that too. So look out for that. Yeah. But yep. um, let's come back because um, what about antagonists, different types of antagonists? What did you learn from the trial in that space? I imagine you come across all kinds of antagonists. Yeah. So... I, to be honest, I never really used the word antagonist until I started doing this. And I guess it's different from the modes. You know, you obviously got different type of characters in the image. So if you strip away the mode talk and everything, that's got the, the antagonist is the character. So, so obviously we'd have a lot of more kind of um, punitive or, you know, punitive antagonist or, uh, so, you know, it's a, I, I found with that, you know, I don't know about you, but in supervision, when you, you know, because one of the big things is, is you know, for therapists, mm. sometimes it can be really overwhelming to try to stand up to this thing or yeah. 
we lack confidence or it's, it's hard to sort of, you know, the idea mm. is that you have to win the exchange. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that can be tough depending on mm. the, the type of antagonist. Yeah. And I mean, the two things that I took away and I really kind of funneled things down was the idea of just, it's pretty much with every antagonist, you have to be like this, but with particularly punitive or abusive antagonists, you have to just to be determined and uncompromising, mm. you know, um, and you have to have a sense of kind of therapeutic indignation where it's like I'm angry and, uh, you know, that for some of those abusive type clients where you kind of like, this is not, this is an injustice. This isn't right. So but, it's a, about, in know. that case, it's, and I know exactly what you mean. It's, mm. it's about not about losing your crap, right? Yeah. Like, but, but, but letting your healthy anger come through in the image that, mm. that they can feel your, your indignation, that, that mm. you're, you're a little bit you know, furious about it. Well, not that you're you going to lose control of the image. Yeah, you, one thing they can I feel really, that sentiment. Yeah, it's just you don't even have to get too angry. You can just be. I always took a lot from listening. I do a lot of tape writings and listening to tapes, and you know, a colloquy of ours. You know, did did one where he just dropped the tone, and he was just like, "Don't ever do that again, okay? Don't ever say that again. You're dealing with me." And it was like it was right. very counter to what I often would be. You know, dealing with and i thought that is so true you know, so it was more about the de- direct, determination directness and not, and not compromising it's more like he's laughing at you it's like i don't care if he laughs at, laughs at me like i'm the boss like i me, don't care you can be very calm you can be like do i don't care one iota yeah it's a very yeah. strange thing to say i don't care one <laughs> iota what you're saying to me. Right. yeah i don't care at all it's <laughs> a translation yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so th- I mean, but you know, with the other antagonists, you might have more of a depriving type one where it's like mum and dad are shrugging their shoulders and not really attending to the child's needs, where you can kind of deal with that, you know, in terms of by highlighting that and seeing what the response is. Often, I would suggest for a neglectful antagonist is sort of, you know, challenge the antagonist, it's fairly just soft, and then to see what the response is. If they, if they get angry with you, you can deal with that. If they, you know, start crying and you can mm. deal with that, but don't go in too hard with a, a neglectful or an unattuned. Something, so we might finish up on this point. I mean, this mm. is something that you and I have talked about this. I've, I've often thought about the limited reparenting as lying on a spectrum. Mm. Uh, you know, on one end, let's say on the left-hand side of the spectrum, you've got the more limited reparenting attunement, you know, I'm there for you, you know, and then up from that, you've got the more guidance type stuff, mm. um, and then up from that, you got the more um, empathic confrontation tasks and, and all the way through to full-blown limit setting. Mm-hmm. And so you can think about limited reparenting tasks as lying on a bit of a spectrum mm. yeah, with, yeah. with the, the more soft mm. attunement type care type stuff on the left-hand mm. side and all the way through to the more limit setting tasks being very, you know, quite strong in your limits. Right, yeah. Depending so, on the situation. Yeah. And we've been using that for a while in our trainings, but mm. it, it occurred to me last year that we could also bring that into our imagery rescripts, you know, Mm. and that there are clearly some type of antagonists that you're going to set a very firm boundary with within the imagery Mm. and you might even kick them out or Mm. bring the police or have them locked up or, you know, whatever needs to happen to make it safe. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can, that's the need, I guess. So that's the need. We're tracking the need, right? Yeah. And then there are those uh, antagonists. You might think of them maybe as more like, maybe more like demanding antagonists where mm. you might be more like, Hey, you know, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to help here. You're trying to help yeah. Johnny be good at his, at his schoolwork or whatever, but you're yeah. not helping. You're actually making him very yeah. 
anxious. So and that's I not based on safety, or is it? It's more no. based on sort of realistic expectations. Or yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So then, right? So that's going to change your sentiment. It's mm. and, and how strong you come in. Yeah. And then if you take that further, there might be some parents you come in into the image, and it's more about actually guiding them. You might yeah. come in and say, "Hey, you know, Mrs. Mm. Whoever, mm. I don't think you realise it, but." You can, mm. what, what he really needs is your involvement. And yeah. I know you're very busy right now and yep. you've got pressure and you're washing up and you're doing everything, but he just needs you to hear him right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you could start with that and see where it goes. Like that's an example of what I would say about just start, start with that. And if mom's looks receptive, then continue. But if mom looks guilty and starts crying, then you deal with that. And if mum starts getting angry with you and goes, get out of my kitchen, deal with that. But it stand up to, right. So you've got this tracking. Yeah. And if you keep this going, it goes all the way down to care and attunement. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you could imagine, and the example I give is, imagine yeah. mum's there and she's got mm. schizophrenia or she's got mental health yep. problems. Yep. And then you're not going to come in and be like, look, you're not, you're not paying attention yeah. to your child. What's wrong with you? But you might yeah. be like, hey, you know, I'm here to help. I'm going to bring, you know, mm. some care, some, some yeah. amb- you know, ambulance or mental health workers. Mm. And I'm going to take care of mum. First, we're going to get her the care that she needs because she's not well. Mm. So in that way, then what might be needed in the rescript is actually more of a caring stance. Yeah. All right. But again, the rescript happens in in Mm. that what I'm communicating to the child is um, this wasn't enough for you. It wasn't Mm. wasn't that there was ever anything wrong. And and, and I guess in that situation as well, it's responsibility. So I would imagine a lot of clients, depending, it goes back to the needs and the case formulation because I can imagine a client that's in that situation might feel responsible and have a sense of, I need to look after mom. And and then you could be saying, hey, little guy, this is a big person's problem. Totally. Mom is a very unwell, you know, sick person at the moment. And and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help her and I'm going to help you. Yeah. It's not your fault. Exactly. Let the big you, people look after it. Okay. You just What's go and play. Like? Maybe we can that? go and play after this <laughs> while mum's getting better. We can go and play some footy at the front or something. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. Look, um, yeah. Chris, mate, I think I think that's a pretty good note in which to maybe think about wrapping up um, this episode yeah. of What's a Schematic. Did you have anything you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think just people just get out and try and practice and try and give it a go and push themselves to do do this a little more. Um, you know, the the results of the IRM study will be out soon, so we'll, we'll probably try and get some of the clinicians that are writing up the paper to be a part of maybe some what's the schematic in the future. But also in the next couple of weeks, we've got some, or maybe we, we're doing a bit of a blast of recordings in the next couple of weeks, but the next couple of months, we've got some really cool people um, plan. So the next one we've got is Wendy Bahari. She's uh, agreed to uh, be on our program in about a month's time. So the next month. Yep, talking about narcissism and issues to do with NPD. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of giving us maybe some ideas of how to work with that and staying within our healthy adults and not responding, you know, in, t- in kind. So, yeah. So that's the, the next thing planned. And yeah, what, who else that. we got planned? Can we, can we name uh, drop? I think we've got, we've got, uh, we've got Matt Pugh. Okay, let's go with Susan. We've got Susan Simpson. She's going to be doing something on eating disorders. Boom. Uh, We've also got Matt Pugh from the UK, uh, who's a specialist in working with um, chair work uh, and and using that within the schema therapy. Wrote the book, Cognitive Behavioral Chair Work. So we're looking forward to that. I think anyone else we've got on the radar? I think we've got one more. And we've got uh, Elizabeth Lacey, who she's based in, in the US, and she's going to be looking at kind of intimacy disorders so sort of possibly sort of porn addiction yeah. sex addiction yeah. BDSM sort of stuff and yeah. how that be. and related issues to do with yeah. sex and intimacy 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. got a, a busy couple of months. Wow. So keep listening. Can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. All awesome. right. This has been awesome. Um, yeah. Chris, mate, as always, lovely to catch up with you. Yeah. And to all our Watch the Schematter listeners, thanks for, for tuning in. We hope to see you around, around the traps. See you guys soon. Um, see you guys soon. Okay. Au revoir. Okay. Bye. Bye.